This is The Guardian. Today, a special investigation into an Israeli network meddling in elections around the world. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello. Good evening. How are you? Good evening. I'm fine. Good evening. Hello. What you're listening to right now was secretly recorded. Everyone on the call is using an alias. There are journalists posing as political consultants. And they're talking to a man who claims to be at the centre of a network, which, for a fee, says it can make anyone believe anything. We are providing a service. And uh, mainly it's intelligence and influence. These are the two key... He says he can bring down governments, change the course of elections send a rival company out of business. And of course, in elections, it's coming together very well. Our experience... Today, the story of the international investigation that infiltrated a team of disinformation mercenaries and fought them with what they fear the most, being exposed in public. And this is part of our power, that the other side does not understand we exist. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, the secret world of disinformation for hire. Last summer, a French media organisation, Forbidden Stories, gathered a group of journalists in Paris, including from The Guardian. Okay, I think we're going to start in a few seconds. If anyone can be seated, we can start. They were there to launch a project to shed some light on a world we know almost nothing about. It's really clear now, a few decades into living with the internet, that it's an incredibly useful tool for spreading lies. And a lot of those lies are just people passing on what they hear without checking. In other words, spreading misinformation. There was more CO2 released from that one volcano erupting than everything human beings have ever done. Really? I don't know if it's true. Sounds amazing, though. But when people make something up or spread something they know is untrue, just to create chaos or push their agenda, it's called disinformation. I'm sure you've heard the term. We're living in a world that's saturated with it. The only way we're going to lose this election is if the election is rigged. Remember that. I'm not afraid of the coronavirus, and no one else should be that afraid either. So don't ever think the globalists that have hijacked this country wouldn't stage something like this. They kill little kids all day. I have listened to further installments of Russia's catalogues of distortions, dishonesty, and disinformation. Over the past decade, disinformation has become a business. A secret one. If you've got the money, you can hire someone to invent a whole new reality. Fill the internet with complaints about a rival business. Spread rumours about a political opponent. 
create so much confusion around an issue that nobody knows what to think anymore. Disinformation isn't new, but with the internet, it's never been so easy. So that really means that anyone who can afford this, so a company, a law firm, an oligarch who wants to attack someone else, can deploy the tactics that otherwise we've seen used by countries like Russia, China, North Korea. Stephanie Kitschgassner is an investigative reporter with The Guardian. She's been working on this project. It's really, in a way, very frightening. It shows that, that this idea of disinformation is really proliferating as a service. The journalists meeting in Paris wanted to know, how much can we learn about this industry? We will find sources, we will meet people, we will find documents, we will have strong revelation at the end because we will act and we will investigate as a group, as a task force. And this is why we are here today. They codenamed the project Hydra, after the mythological Greek animal, a giant water snake with nine heads. Famously, if you cut one of the heads off, two more would grow back to replace it. The name of the project was a gesture towards how hard this industry would be to kill. That by the time you exposed one group spreading disinformation, two others would probably have taken its place. Among the reporters meeting in Paris was Ghoul Megiddo, an Israeli investigative journalist. Eventually, he'd end up in an office in Tel Aviv wearing a hidden camera. But in that meeting last summer, he and the other journalists were still trying to figure out, how do we break into this world? We were discussing the ways to try to find information about this industry. And at a certain point in this meeting, we, we just got to this notion. The disinformation industry works in the shadows, these kinds of companies don't come up on Google, they don't have public phone numbers, and they rarely answer questions from journalists. Not knowingly, anyway. So Gur and his colleagues decided their only option was to go undercover. The Guardian wasn't involved in coming up with this strategy, though our journalists have done it in the past too. Always selectively and in cases where there's evidence of wrongdoing, and where more traditional journalistic methods just aren't going to work. And so, back in Israel, Gur started talking to his sources, asking, hypothetically, if I was a client looking to hire someone for a disinformation campaign, who would I talk to? Israel is a very small place. Very small. <laughs> and the intelligence industry is even smaller. Basically, if you have the right sources, then people just know who these people are and how you can approach them. And he was told about a group that works out of Modiin, a suburb of Tel Aviv, who might be able to do that kind of work. And then through a chain of uh, intermediaries, we managed to approach them as, as clients. Clients, not journalists. So an undercover team was put together. There was Ghul, who reports for an outlet called The Marker and who played an Israeli security consultant. With him was Omar Ben-Jacob, a reporter with the Israeli newspaper Haaretz. He played an American. So I think a lot of the preparations, at least from my perspective, had to do with, like, <laughs> stepping into this very American, like, headspace of, like, what? I don't understand. Can you speak slower for me? Like, this kind of, like, I'm outside of my comfort zone, fish out of water. I'm not usually in the, like, in the Middle East. Explain to me kind of vibe. And finally, Frederic Metzo, a journalist with Radio France, posing as a French political consultant. Very, very quickly we discovered that uh, those people were not official companies. And if those people work under the radar, the only way to talk to them 
is to be under the radar. They set up a group on a secure messaging app to stay in touch. They call it the Three Stooges, and they come up with a cover story. The reason why they're approaching this network and asking so many questions about how they operate. Well, basically, we thought of uh, approaching them with a political story, and we were looking for a country in which elections were due. They explain that they work for a client who wants an election somewhere in Africa postponed. They don't say which country in particular. And they begin to have Zoom meetings with different people in this Israeli network, secretly filming as they do. And the story started just as I am talking to you now. Hello. Good evening. How are you? Good evening. I'm fine. Good evening. Hello. Okay. So who is uh, Yaakov? They get the hellos out of the way and soon turn to business. My client is based in Africa. According to my client, the best thing is that there would not be D-Day. You see what I mean? Fred tells the guy he's talking to, who goes by the name Max, that his client in this unnamed African country wants D-Day, that's election day, to be delayed. You see what I mean? The D-Day is postponed. Postponed. The later, the better. And Max tells him, sure, we can do that. Mm -hmm. For us, the target is to postpone that. Look, I didn't mention one thing about who we are. We are working, let's say, we call it under the radar. We don't want to be exposed. We are under the radar. On the first meeting with Fred uh, was part of, they suggested to destabilize the country and create a situation in which people would not go, want to go to vote. We, we have to think in creative way, for example, yeah. to try to destroy the logistic of the opponents. Yeah. We have a lot of ideas to create an atmosphere that nobody uh, will go to the elections. Just coming back to... Uh, when you they were never embarrassed. You see what I mean? I would say they were shameless and fearless. This is what uh, amazed me very much. There was no sense that they were involved in something illegal, or morally wrong. They just didn't seem to see it that way. They didn't say anything. They just uh, they asked for money. You know, yeah, they they just wanted money. wanted to do business. Over the next few weeks, they have more calls with different members of this network. It, I was in a beautiful place in France near Bordeaux. Bordeaux, good wine. Ah. <laughs> Nobody they talk with uses their real names or says much about their histories. They say they're psychological warfare experts, strategic campaign consultants, or graduates of government agencies in Israel, which the journalists took as code for former intelligence. Eventually, they work their way up to a man who appears to be the boss. And to prove this network can do what they claim, he offers to show them the crown jewels, the tools that allow them to operate. Okay, Frederick, first of all, I want to you to meet uh, Jorge. Unlike the others, the boss never appears on screen. He gives his name as Jorge. First of all, thank you for your time. Sorry I had to stress you a little bit. Really, it's a crazy week. Europe is on fire, but also business is on fire. So, you know, uh, thank you for finding the time for us today. So, of course, elections is, uh, for us, is the perfect... For me, the, the wild thing is once you kind of penetrate that first door, then nothing is off, off the table. Once you're in the room, I think 
it's like any kind of business proposal. They want your money and they want to show you how good at what they do. And what they do is screw up countries and postpone elections. We are providing a service and uh, mainly it's intelligence and influence. Our core competence is elections and we have completed 33 different campaigns, presidential level campaigns. Like that's the service they provide. And according to them, they're quite good at it. And, and, and there's tons of ways to do that. Like there's just no, no limit to how many ways you can screw up a democratic process and like undermine people's faith in democracy. It's, it's, it's actually quite amazing. Jorge tells the undercover journalists his network has a long history of dirty tricks. He knows how to postpone elections. He claims they've already done so in 2015 in the biggest democracy in Africa, Nigeria. For the record, that election was postponed, but we've looked into it, and we don't think Team Jorge was responsible. But hey, makes a good sales pitch. Uh, If you look at 2015 in Nigeria, this is us. Three weeks, we postponed it for three weeks in consensus. He gives them a second example, this long story about how they managed to make a minister somewhere in Asia resign from the government by digging into his bank statements, allegedly finding evidence of corruption. So we come to the president and we produce ourselves. We went someone to the bank. We made all the process to open account in the bank. We made the same banker. And then passing that evidence to someone who wanted him to quit. And Jorge claims the minister did. Quietly. Sometimes it's not about making something big noise. Sometimes it's to give the leverage, yeah, give him the ammunition. In another possibly dubious example, Team Jorge claims they managed to throw an election somewhere in Southeast Asia into chaos by crashing the National Election Commission's website just as voting was starting. So what we did, we did attack on the webpage of the Electoral Commission, but only on his page. He talks about these examples like they're routine, just another day's work. And they've been doing this kind of work for years, Jorge says. All of it in secret. But usually we like to be behind the scenes, and this is part of our power, that the other side does not understand we exist. They are not shy. They are very talkative. You see, it's like people who want uh, to sell a car or a TV. You see what I mean? But the problem is that uh, they are not car dealers. They are fake news dealers, and they speak in such a natural way. That is really amazing. Okay, this all sounded really ominous. But remember, Jorge works in sales. His job is to impress these guys. And this industry, it's not regulated. If he's lying, trying to bilk these gullible consultants out of millions of euros... Nobody's going to stop him. You can't go to the police and say, I was trying to postpone an election and this guy's ripped me off. So they were a little sceptical. Here's Steph. I think the first task was really to find out whether Jorge and his gang were essentially used car salesmen selling a lemon. Um, Were they just completely all bluster and making this stuff up? Was the demonstration fake? Or... Was this actually unbelievable, dangerous, incredible evidence of nefarious activity? (laughs) You know, and that's a pretty wide spectrum. They needed to figure out how much of this was true. And they started going through Jorge's presentation line by line for clues. For example, he talked about using this special system that managed an army of fake online accounts. 
Our working six years now, we sold to intelligence services. This system is sold only to governments as intelligence. Okay, look this. And that has to do with the software system called AIMS, which is this very elaborate system of bots. And actually, Jorge doesn't like calling them bots. He calls them avatars. And I will show you now one, one avatar. We call it avatar. One profile, you will understand. Some of these avatars used fake pictures, but others didn't. They were pictures of real people, maybe someone you know, recruited to this fake online army. These are essentially you know, fake people online who, it's not just that it's, you know, a person who has a fake Twitter account. They're people that really look real because not only are they on Twitter, but they have a Facebook account. They have an Amazon account. You know, they have a history. They have relationships. So it's very difficult to tell that these are not actual people. In the meeting, Jorge is scrolling a picture gallery of different people, men and women from all over the world. Pretty unremarkable looking profile photos, all of them linked to fake people. We have uh, Arabs, Russian, uh, Swiss, uh, Asian, everything. Yeah, African, of course. Yeah. And the obvious thing these bots can do is tweet about certain topics or like a person's post and make them or their message seem more popular than they really are. Now, but the real power of the system, I'll show you in, in 60 seconds. We create a campaign. I'm choosing the avatars I want to participate in the campaign. That's it. You understand? We are imitating a real behavior of people on social media. Okay? That's it. That's three, three. And Jorge can adjust who's liking the post depending on where in the world they're operating. If he wants African, I put African profiles. <laughs> no, no problem. Huh? We have Arab, uh, European, Indonesia, Philippines, Panama. You don't have any French? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course, of course. Yeah. Fine. So they have an army of online accounts. But so what? They can like a bunch of posts. Big deal. But then Jorge says these accounts can go further. And he clicks through to one profile in particular. He's going to show them what it can do. It looks like it belongs to a woman named Shannon Aiken. You see, so this Shannon, she's in America. She has 400-something friends. She's in Washington, D.C. She's two years old. She makes posts. He means the account is two years old. It has two years of internet history for anyone taking a deep dive. So she has Telegram. She's on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. and just Shannon is blonde, age 38. He has pictures of her in bars at Halloween parties. It looks like she's a real woman. She's had her identity stolen. <laughs> but is it real or not? Is it real person? She has Amazon. Hello, Shannon. She has a credit card. So people tell me, ah, Amazon, how is this connected to, 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 to campaign? I tell them, really, campaign is not just to, to make an influence. There are many ways. So There's one portion of the demonstration where... You know, it's a lot of men talking to each other, and there's a joke about how they sent a bunch of sex toys to the spouse of a politician. She, sent, she bought what? She bought sex toys? She sent it to, thank you, my love. She put a card, yeah? Thank you, my love. It was a wonderful night, waiting for you whenever you come back again. <laughs> who do you think got the package? The wife, of course, yeah? Who opened everything at home? Jorge claims he used Shannon to send sex toys to the wife of a political candidate, making his family life difficult and injecting a possible scandal into a political race. Now, what, what impact? I ask you, is this big impact or small impact? 
<laughs> Actually, he cannot even go home. His wife will not accept him. Now what? Now all the campaigns shift. Now when we do it. But Jorge's team didn't just use bots. Jorge said they were also expert hackers. What did seem to be like a big deal and what did seem chilling to me was when you see Jorge manipulating someone's Telegram account. Okay. And I want to show you another thing here, just a second. Um... Jorge brings up a screen and shows the undercover journalists what looks like the contents of someone's phone, their messages and contacts, and says not only can he spy on people's apps, he can use those apps to send his own messages. Can you see this telegram now? Yeah. Okay. So this is also some minister of uh, some country. I can go, I can check all his calls, I can go to any chat and see what they are saying. Jorge isn't showing them the accounts of random people. These are two very powerful figures in Kenya. One of them is a political consultant named Dennis Itumbi, who's close to William Ruto, who back then was a presidential candidate, now is the president of Kenya. And Jorge's claiming he's inside the Telegram account of someone close to him, this Dennis Itumbi guy, and he's sending messages. Okay. And I'll point out, he makes one really bad error. Um, So for, again, all the bluster of how there's no fingerprints, in fact, he really screwed up. Trying to impress the undercover journalists, Jorge goes to Itumbi's Telegram account and sends a message right there and then to a Kenyan businessman. He shows them that the message has gone through, and then he goes to delete it. Or at least he tries. But instead of deleting it for all, he deletes it only from Itumbi, but he doesn't delete it for the person who received the message. So what that means is somewhere on a phone in Kenya is the message sent by Jorge in this meeting. And if the journalists can find that message, it's evidence that maybe Jorge is telling the truth about his powers. And they do find the message. A journalist in Kenya, working for the news outlet OCCRP, which is part of this investigation, arranges a meeting with the businessman who received Dennis Itumbi's message. For security reasons, we can't say too much about it, but here's the key bit. That businessman gave our colleague access to his phone and allowed him to look at his Telegram account. And sure enough, we saw that at the date and time that you know that we knew that that message had been received. It's a huge breakthrough. It was a big moment. It was seen as pretty critical to be able to prove that this did in fact happen, that this demo happened, that they were capable of doing the things that they said they could do. I mean, what I've said to our colleagues is, you know, a lot is riding on that Telegram account. And if we can nail that, a lot of other things fall into place. At the same time as they were trying to prove whether Jorge really had the abilities he claimed, Steph and the team were also trying to figure out Who was this guy who appeared to be at the head of a disinformation network? Who was Jorge? All we had was a bunch of pseudonyms. And I I thought, you know, just looking at it from a very basic point of view, we need to find out who these people are, who these specific people are. And to me, that seemed like a quite a daunting task Uh, for people who, you know, specialize in, in not leaving fingerprints. We needed to find out who Jorge was and what he had done in the past. 
Again, they scoured their Zoom call with Jorge for clues. One was that he mentioned a name, an old friend he used to work with, called Roger Noriega, who lived in the US. Where, for example, my ex-partner, Roger Noriega, was Undersecretary of State. So Steph reached out to Roger Noriega. This was a few months ago, and we chatted about it at the time. Sooner or later, I heard back from him, and he agreed to meet me for a coffee. I was able to segue the conversation into the topic of disinformation, which wasn't that difficult. And then I made the remark, and I said, well, you know, disinformation, we hear so much about it from China, from Russia. But, you know, I, I said, I heard it's really booming um, industry in Israel. To which he said, yeah, um, an old friend of mine showed me a presentation about some of the crazy things that can be done in this realm. And that was obviously music to my ears. I mean, that was pretty huge. (laughs) Roger Noriega confirmed, yeah, he had a friend, an Israeli, who had some pretty powerful tools for spreading disinformation. Now, could he be talking about somebody entirely different? Yes. Could it just be a coincidence? Absolutely. But these are the sort of little hints and leads that we're trying to find. For what it's worth, there's no suggestion that Roger Noriega was involved in or knew anything about hacking or disinformation anywhere. At this point, it wasn't even clear he and Steph were talking about the same guy. And this, it turns out, is a lot of what investigative reporting involves. Grasping at the tiny threads you can see, hoping one of them will unravel the whole sweater. And then, when it doesn't, not getting too disheartened. So it's not entirely satisfying, I have to say. But what is promising is that we hope that Jorge is going to reemerge in coming weeks. Really? He'll contact who? The Israeli reporters? Apparently he has done, yes. And so there's a potential meeting in the works, although whether that happens or not, you know, we'll see. And then, one day in December, a breakthrough. Thanks to a tip that Gul Mugedo, one of the undercover Israeli reporters, received from one of his sources. Hey Mike, it's Stephanie. It's Sunday, Sunday morning, beautiful day in Washington. Everyone else in the world is excited for the World Cup final in a few hours. But on our message group, there's other excitement happening, which is that our amazing colleague in Israel has a name, Tal Hanan, we think. And we think this is uh, Jorge, as we call him. It's pretty exciting. Tal Hanan. If you could see the Google search data for that name, you would see that on that Sunday, they skyrocketed. As a team of journalists around the world started searching for anything they could find linked to that name. Our colleague got this name from a source. So when I put in a similar sounding name, Tal Hanan, H-A-N-A-N, what popped up but a connection to a certain DC operative. Tal Hanan appeared to know Roger Noriega, just like Jorge. It's pretty exciting. So we think we've made a major breakthrough. In fact, I doubt it's a coincidence. So it's very good news on a Sunday. Over the next few weeks, the team built up this detailed profile of the man they think is Jorge. 
you know, although Jorge kept on saying, you know, he operates in the shadows and, you know, no one knows him. Tal Hanan was a businessman. He had various companies, uh, including one called Demoman Limited, that were registered to him in Israel. So they had a voice and a possible name that seemed credible, but still no definitive proof. They had no idea what this guy even looked like. And that is exactly why they did what they did next. Coming up, an office in Tel Aviv, a hidden camera, and Jorge's fingerprints on one of the biggest political scandals of the past few years. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV, read a book, meet up with a friend, maybe a little nap. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. They'd infiltrated a secret network kept their cover during Zoom meetings and phone calls. And this team of journalists from outlets across the world had built up a picture of the man at the centre of it all, Jorge. The next thing to do was to go right into the heart of where he worked, meet the man himself, and see if they could prove his identity. So they draw up a sting operation, this time involving two reporters, Gul from the marker. Well, they didn't know much about me, is they, I was just represented as the strategic consultant as opposed to the French consultant. So the American well, consultant. Listen, it, it was all bullshit, to be honest. <laughs> but, uh, and, and when we were dressing up for this, we needed to pick up costumes. I just wore a yarmulke, like a kippah. I do that trick a lot. Actually, I learned it in Israeli military. When you wear the kippah and you ask for equipment, mm-hmm. you get more. Really? 
because people tend to trust the people with the keeper. It's stupid, but that's how people work here. And Omer, playing his clueless, fish-out-of-water American partner. And I think the duo dynamic is really important and the two-language dynamic is really important. Like, when you have one person who plays, like, you know, an American who doesn't necessarily understand what's happening, it, it creates a lot of space for someone who speaks the local language to kind of, like, ask questions behind his back. Together, they drive to Modiin, an unremarkable Tel Aviv suburb, up to a bland office complex, one that could have been anywhere. What they need is Jorge on camera, but obviously they can't walk into his office carrying one. At least, not a camera that Jorge could see. One thing I'd like to know is, is where, where were the cameras? Where were they hidden? If you can say. Mike, let's, let's skip that one. <laughs> okay, okay, understood. Understood. Omer goes to a petrol station bathroom, turns on the camera, checks it's still hidden, and walks outside. These cameras, wherever they were, had a short battery life, and the journalists didn't know how long it would take to actually get into the office with Jorge. And so they decided to stagger their entry. Omar would go first. He had actually been invited to the meeting. And he'd be followed a short time later by Ghoul, who would make an excuse for showing up. So the actual plan for the meeting was, we go inside. Yes, please, I'd love coffee. There's this point where I'm like waiting for him a few minutes. Like the gopher makes me coffee. I go to the bathroom. I check my gear one more time. I sit and I wait. While Omer's inside, schmoozing, cracking jokes. You guys invested in uh, coins? You're losing tons of money, no? Gur is outside, approaching the office. The next thing I remember is like recalling that Gur is like hiding outside and I have to like let him in somehow and I pulled this like pretty cool move of being like, he's here, he's coming from some place. Well, he's, uh, he told me that he wants to come and I want to check with him. So it's okay? We, you met him last time. Yeah, I, I'm here. Do, do you want to join? Are you like in the area and want to do that? Ah, okay, okay. okay. So, so after I was there for like 10 minutes, Ghoul crashed the party. <laughs> and so now it's the two of them in the office waiting to meet Jorge. And Ghoul still isn't sure this is going to work that Jorge's even going to sit down with these guys. We weren't sure that he was going to be in the meeting because he had to fly somewhere, and it wasn't, we weren't sure if we are going to meet him in person. Uh, and he's not stupid, right? Like, maybe he yeah. wouldn't show up. Like, that's what we kept thinking, that he would send the brother, because he's not an idiot. But there was a moment, and I heard Jorge's screaming voice, like, the hello that... <laughs> oh! oh! Nice to meet yeah, you, my friend. Yeah, my friend is. And <laughs> exactly. I said, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice that we get to meet in reality. Finally, almost, in yeah. 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 And there he was, Jorge, right in front of them, and right in front of their cameras. George. George, I was going to ask. Jorge, George is the and I don't have a name. And then, uh, you saw what it said on the door, right? No. It says nothing. It says nothing. <laughs> My name is nothing. That's who we are. We are nothing. We are here. He admits Jorge isn't his real name. I don't have a name, he tells them. You saw what it said on the door, right? It says nothing. That's who we are. We're nothing. What was it about his appearance that struck you sitting with him? 
I'll, I'll say this, it, I'll be a bit vulgar. Israeli men don't wear suits. Israeli men don't wear suits. They just don't. It's not our style. And there's something about him that's very, for lack of a better word, flashy. He's, he, he's just such a character. And like the moment he started talking, he's like, hello. And I'm like, yeah, it's, this is, yeah. <laughs> this is the guy. Yeah. <laughs> but then, and the three of them got to talking. Like the actual meeting, I don't remember much. It felt a lot like just sitting with like, you know, your corny uncles who want to are kind of right wing and want to talk like shop in politics. Yeah. And so and once I heard that voice, I just said, oh, yeah, we, we got his picture. That was the one thing that we didn't want to get out of the room without. That was, it was his picture. We wanted his picture. It's, this sounds really like the kind of stuff that soldiers say, but like the only thing that scared me was to screw up the operation for the rest of the group. Like, to be honest, like that was the only thing I was scared of, that we had gotten so far and we got crazy materials and that somehow I didn't listen close enough to how to turn on the camera and we wouldn't have the, like, the shot of this guy and we could never confirm his identity and it was just because, like I don't know, I have sweaty palms or something and it was like I, my, my fingers slipped. Like, that was the only thing I was thinking about. And they did get his picture. Once we knew we have his picture, you know, everything, everything, everything else was bonus and there were a lot of bonuses during that meeting. The two reporters left his office. They checked their footage and they celebrated. They had Jorge on camera. But here's the thing. He still hadn't admitted to being Tal Hanan. Proving that beyond doubt. That was the last piece of this puzzle. And in that moment, they didn't realise it. But Jorge had already given it to them. They just needed to figure out they had it. And then, slot it into place. One of the important skills that one can have as a journalist is to just let your source talk. Because often, if you just sort of stay silent, they will give you loads of information. And so that was undoubtedly the case with Tal Hanan. And one of the most interesting ones came rather late in the in-person meeting that our undercover reporters uh, had done with him, which was that he boasted that he had a connection to Cambridge Analytica. Cambridge Analytica might ring a bell. It was a political consulting firm. It worked on trying to influence elections, just like Jorge. And back in 2017, it was at the centre of a huge scandal. It had used personal information, harvested from millions of Facebook users, without their knowledge. The story had broken in The Guardian's sister paper, The Observer. And shortly after, Cambridge Analytica had gone out of business. And over time, the intense media scrutiny of the firm died away. I think... The initial response from the team was, oh, you know, he made this comment about Cambridge Analytica and it wasn't really taken too, too seriously. It was a bit curious, though. And so what I did is I actually called a colleague of mine, Carol Cadwallader. Carol was the observer journalist who broke the original Cambridge Analytica story six years ago. I couldn't talk about the project. Carol wasn't on the project, but she knew I was working on something having to do with Israel and Israelis. And I tried to ask her just about this kind of link that Tal Hanan had mentioned. And lo and behold, Carol raised the fact that there had been some speculation and accusations years ago when she was covering Cambridge Analytica about their relationship with 
Israeli consultants. And so I sort of said, okay, go on, Carol. You know, what are you talking about? And she said, well, there was a name. And she said, but is the name that you're looking for an Israeli name? So I said, yeah. And then I said, but he does have a pseudonym. And then Carol said, Jorge. What? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I just had, it was one of those moments that's in journalism where just like, you just have to pause and take it in. That's incredible. I mean, she had heard the name Jorge totally independently to you and the project. Yes, years ago. And that wasn't all. That conversation led Steph to some emails that had leaked from inside Cambridge Analytica a few years ago. And inside one of them, just sitting there, waiting to be discovered, was the answer that they'd been searching for for months. We ended up finding in files related to Cambridge Analytica and correspondence related to Cambridge Analytica that somebody who worked at Cambridge Analytica had been asked, what's the real name of that Jorge, you know, dark ops guy from Israel? And that the response to that in an email was, that's Tal Hanan, the CEO of Demoman, which is Tal Hanan's company. And that was really solid proof beyond having, you know, an anonymous source that was seen as, you know, the final nail we needed to get him. The thing about the Hydra, the mythological water snake, is that it's hard to kill, but not impossible. The ancient Greek gods, they managed to do it. They worked together. As they cut off each head, they expose the wound to fire, cauterize it, and slowly, head by head, the Hydra dies. So far, Jorge, or Tal Hanan, is still operating. But next time he's presenting to clients, he won't be able to brag that he operates in the shadows. He's definitely going to need a new codename. By the end of this investigation, the team was able to lay out how Hanan's operatives infiltrated an election campaign in Nigeria, including using undercover agents with hidden cameras. They showed how key players in last year's Kenyan election had had their Gmail and Telegram accounts infiltrated using hacking techniques. They captured a member of Team Jorge, claiming that they were responsible for planting a fake story one that favoured a Russian oligarch under sanctions, and which was broadcast on France's most-watched news channel. One of the presenters of the programme on which it aired has now been suspended. The Guardian, along with the other journalists involved in this investigation, asked Hanan for a response to allegations he had tried to meddle in elections and sow disinformation. His response was brief. He said, To be clear, I deny any wrongdoing. Steph, as you sit here now at the end of this investigation, what do you make of it all? Well, what I learned from it was just the extent of disinformation that is everywhere, that there are hidden motivations behind so much that goes on, including in our own work, um, which we're not always aware of, frankly. So it's a huge, massive problem and threat to democracies, whether it's the democracy in an established democracy like the United States or new democracies in Africa. 
it really is a risk. And it's it's the kind of threat that now exists, not just from a country like Russia or China, but also anyone who can essentially afford to hire someone like Tal Hanan. And that's the sort of wake up call, I think, of our project. And Gul, you, Fred and Omer went undercover to expose this network. What do you take away from all this? We are living in, in a dangerous world where truth is really under threat. We, we, it's very hard to tell what's true and what's not. I think Jorge is just the, the window of opportunity that we've had. And I'm, I'm certain that there are other players that do just the same thing. We saw that some of the stories led to other countries, to France, for example. And, and I'm sure these operations are out there. There are probably dozens of them. There's a point in the meeting in the office where I ask Jorge if there are any elections in this world that do not, do not have these tricks, that these things do not happen. And he just says, you know, outright, no, there's no such thing. It does not exist. That's what he claims. That was Gore Megiddo, who worked on this project alongside Omar Ben-Jacob and Frederick Metzo, along with a whole consortium of journalists. The Guardian team behind this project was Stephanie Kitchgussner, Manisha Ganguly, Jason Burke and David Pegg. It was edited by Rachel Oldroyd. When contacted by The Guardian, Roger Noriega declined to comment on the identity of Jorge. He said, I haven't worked for or done any work on behalf of any political campaign, foreign or otherwise, with Tal Hanan or anyone else. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Tom Glasser and Alex Atak. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. And we'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.